Hi, and good morning for those of you who are watching this live. As you may be aware, we've been following through this series of teaching on unity and community. And this morning, I want to take that a step further and look at how we do disagreement as disciples. So over the past several weeks, we've looked at how love is what Jesus calls us to above everything else. It is his new command. And then we looked at a key theme of covenant in scripture, that unique commitment to one another, which is meant to shape and determine the way we relate together as God's people. And then last week, Sarah was sharing from 1 Corinthians 13 about what love looks like in practice, how this love is not a, a warm feeling, but a choice to act towards each other in certain ways and not in other ways. So in light of this, why as Christians do we so often drift apart or choose to separate or divide or even fall out with each other? You see, Jesus taught that people will know that we're his disciples by the love, the unique self-sacrificial love that we have for one another. Is it any wonder that people are often sceptical of the truth that we declare when they see Christians dividing from each other and sometimes even dissing each other? How is that any different from the culture around us? Because in our society at the moment, things currently seem more polarised than ever. I mean, here in the UK, it's Brexit or Remain, it's right or left, it's independence or union. During this pandemic, it's open up or stay shut, stay in or go out. Surely at such a time of division, this should be the moment when God's people have the opportunity to stand in stark contrast to the prevailing attitudes, to demonstrate a different way of living and relating. And yet so often we don't. Instead, as believers, we often end up polarising over an additional range of issues. Some of them are practical. Is our church liturgical or free? Is it established or independent, conservative or charismatic? Are we clerical or congregational? Do we approve infant baptism or adult baptism? Do we like women in leadership or men only? How do we understand God's sovereignty? In what ways do we see scripture as authoritative for us? It seems that as Christians, we have made disunity almost into an art form. Shame on us, shame on us. Lord Jesus, forgive us. Forgive us for why, those occasions when we have disobeyed your call to be one with each other and to love each other. Forgive us where we fall so far short and help us to do disagreement well. So when I was about uh, 20 years old, I think, I was down in Southampton. I was reading Paul's plea to the Corinthians, to the Christians there, his plea for them to be united. And he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, some of you are saying, I am a follower of Paul, but others are saying, I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter, or for those who are super spiritual and really rather proud of it, I follow only Christ. And Paul says that when people talk like that, they are being merely human, 
just like everybody else. And we are not called to be merely human. A few days after reflecting on those words back all those years ago, I walked down a street in Southampton. and Within a few hundred yards, I passed a range of church buildings, proudly declaring their allegiance. I'm making up the names, but there was, you know, like St Paul's and St John's and St Peter's or some more modern and trendy name of a church. And I remember thinking at the time, surely this is exactly what we were taught not to do. How did we get to this? Now, of course, I realised that in fact, such local congregations were not necessarily at odds with each other. And I know that today the churches in Southampton partner really very well together. But nevertheless, it made me pause. How did we get to this situation? We who follow Jesus seem to have this long and tragic history of dividing from one another. I think the basic issue is that from time to time, we discover, surprise, surprise, that we don't entirely agree about everything. And we have failed to learn how to handle disagreements well. We've never learned how to love each other in the agape way that Sarah talked about, even, perhaps especially, when we see some things differently. It seems to me that disunity is usually connected with one of three things, one or more of three things. Firstly, we can polarise around personalities. Secondly, we can separate over preferences. And thirdly, we can divide over principles. Personalities, preferences, principles. So just to unpack that for a minute, we can polarise around personalities. This is most obviously what Paul was confronting and challenging in the church at Corinth. And it was most likely linked to the differing styles and gifts of people like Paul and Apollos and Peter. You see, Paul claims that he was not, in fact, much of a public speaker, which may be a bit of a surprise to some of us. On the other hand, Apollos seems to have been quite the academic, very much a public speaker. And Peter, well, I mean, he had that unrivaled experience of having spent three years with Jesus and could likely tell many impressive first-hand stories. But we are following Jesus. It's not about personalities. You see, Sarah was teaching us last week, and her gift is so refreshing, it's quite different from my natural approach. And my style is quite distinct from Adam's. But we're not called to polarise around the person whose specific style or gift we happen to prefer. And those of us who teach and lead are not seeking to generate our own groupies or our own fan clubs. We believe in team precisely because we recognise that none of us have everything that is needed to see the church grow in a genuinely healthy way. That's why we do team leadership. It's why we're recommending a few additional people to join our team. We need those, for example, who's, who are especially strong in pastoral gifts. We need those who carry particular prophetic sensitivity. We need those who are strong with the boldness of the evangelist, as well as people with teaching and apostolic ministries. Please, let us not play favourites. If I am selective 
in who I choose to listen to, or at least who I choose to listen to receptively, then the chances are I am gravitating only to those who tell me things that I am comfortable in hearing. But I most probably need the challenge of listening to those whose personalities are quite different from mine. I was recently reviewing some language that other groups of Christians have used to describe their mutual commitment to another. And I was struck by this example. Under the heading of transformation, which is one of the words we often use, they simply said this. I will participate in being changed by God through this place and these people. I will participate in being changed by God through this place and these people. That speaks to me of the sort of covenant love and commitment to which we are called. Let's just pause and reflect on that for a minute. We are called to be changed by God through people that I naturally find difficult, as well as those I naturally get on really well with. You may remember the quote that Adam shared a few weeks back from John Tyson. If there is no interpersonal conflict in your life, no elements of your character that are being you're being confronted about, you are networking, you're not in close community. And he goes on, yet an accountable community does not just confront, it remains united despite disagreements. It is defined by covenant loyalty. Polarising around personalities is not how we are called to live as God's people and is rarely a valid reason for dividing. But the second reason why we can end up separating is over preferences, and it's arguably the most common reason that Christians separate, even if it's sometimes disguised as something different. Typically, it'll be over things like styles of worship. So do we prefer old songs or new songs, or no songs, loud songs or quiet songs, choirs or bands, organs or synthesizers, flag waving or incense burning, liturgy or free for all. When people sometimes describe why they've left this or that local church, we sometimes hear them say something to the effect that, well, you know, the worship just didn't do it for me. Really? Is that what worship's about? I'm not sure it was ever meant to do it for you. Now, I'm not suggesting that we must forever remain in a group where we struggle so much with the practices and the ways of doing things that we actually find it impossible to grow and mature as believers. Sometimes a change, if it's handled openly, humbly and graciously, can be a healthy thing. And if we do change church family, we can. In fact, we must do this transition without dividing in terms of our relationships, not leaving behind a lot of hurt and damage, not, as Sarah said last week, bad-mouthing brothers and sisters, people that Jesus loves, people who he calls us to love. I'm really, really sad when I sometimes hear, and I have, people tell me how clearly God has led them to a specific church, only to discover six months later that they've moved on somewhere else. I don't know who first said it, but I agree with this statement that we need to decide where God has planted us and then seek to flourish where we've been planted. Decide where God has planted you 
and seek to flourish where you have been planted. As YCC, we don't always get this right, but I believe that by God's grace, we have mostly managed to do okay. People have left YCC to join other parts of God's church in Yeovil, but they've shifted their primary place of belonging without cutting off friendships. Because you see, we believe God sees one church in Yeovil and each congregation is merely a part of this one church. Yes, we may have our distinctive styles and the particular areas of focus to which God has called us. But at heart, we belong together. We are the same family. Of course, we can't be in close covenant relationship with everyone. Rather, we all need to be in close relationship with a few specific people. But we also need to recognise that the hundreds of Jesus followers who meet in other places and perhaps with different styles are equally my brothers and sisters. We've become really rather familiar over recent months with the phrase one church in many living rooms. But in our hearts, we need to broaden this to recognise that we are one church in many local groups. There can be a very real, rather subtle temptation to merely pay lip service to this truth, whilst actually harbouring a rather different attitude. The kind of superior, arrogant mindset that essentially says, well, you do it your way and we'll do it his. Of course we can and we should have our own sincere convictions about all sorts of things to do with local church. But if you hear me expressing the kind of underlying arrogance that fails to honour my sisters and brothers in other congregations, please challenge me. If we are willing to patiently walk alongside others whose styles and preferences may be quite different to our own, we often find that we begin to truly understand and genuinely appreciate some of the practices that may at first have seemed quite foreign to us. Traditions that are different to our own have much to teach us. It was many years ago, and before many of you were perhaps connected with YCC, that we began to seriously recognise the importance of honouring the whole body of Christ in Yeovil. At that time, I think some local congregations felt slightly wary of YCC. We'd operated for many years from rented buildings and had therefore been rather sort of under the radar as far as others were concerned. And then we acquired this large building at the gateway and became much more visible. God had been good to us. And there was a risk that we might begin to think that now we were somehow the special ones. So we were challenged by God, I believe it was through a prophetic word, to visit some other local churches and to briefly apologise to them for anything we had said or done or any attitude that we had adopted that failed to honour other believers and the unity to which we are called. It was just a simple step and one that few now would even remember. And yet I believe it laid the foundation for the very strong and healthy relationships that we now have with so many other local congregations and church leaders. So polarising around personalities is rarely a good reason for dividing. Separating over preferences is not necessarily wrong, provided that we handle this with humility and retain a right attitude to others. Because shifting our primary place of belonging is not necessarily divisive as such, any more than changing our small group is divisive. It may be merely practical or perhaps prompted by where we think at this stage in our lives we can best grow 
and serve as disciples. But then we come to a more complex reason for separating from other believers. And that's the third point. We can divide over principles. And this is where things can get difficult. And where her church history is littered with examples of where Christians have felt that dividing has become unavoidable or even necessary. There are moments when Christians have such clear differences in their understanding that there seems no way to continue together. Is this inevitable? Well, I suggest that this depends on what the issues are. Are the issues at stake truly fundamental or are they actually secondary? Now, the New Testament is clear that we are to avoid getting into needless controversies over secondary matters. People can hold a range of opinions and a variety of different understandings about secondary matters, but these are not good reasons to actually divide from each other. It may prove difficult to be in close covenant community with others who hold diametrically di divergent and different views on certain things. So, for example, if you disagree over whether women should be in any form of leadership in the church, then that may prove difficult to be part of the same close community. So we may need to shift our primary place of belonging to accommodate things like that, but that does not allow us to dismiss those with whom we disagree as if they are somehow scarcely Christian or even outright heretics. You see, some people seem to like nothing better than to argue over their favourite finer points of theology. And at worst, they can end up joining that band of heresy hunters that you will find on the internet. Often self-styled so-called experts looking to find points of disagreement that they can loudly condemn and dismiss and writing off those who understand things differently. Two things need to be said about that. First is this. The greatest heresy of all, the one that people seldom get challenged about, is not holding some possibly faulty doctrine, but failing to truly love those who are your sisters and brothers in Jesus. That is the most fundamental heresy, not loving. And secondly, as was pointed out to me recently, there is also a temptation for us to make almost every conviction that we hold into a primary matter to make every issue a matter of fundamental importance and therefore a potential reason for dividing. We need to be quite careful not to jump too quickly to any such conclusion. Yes, when it comes to matters of truth, there are primary matters. There are issues that are fundamental to the gospel and which, if we disregard them, undermine the whole basis of our faith. I won't try and explore these now, but most often they are issues that have to do with who Jesus is and what he has achieved for us. These are core truths that, if we abandon them, we effectively negate any claim we can make to be genuine disciples of his. And the New Testament is unafraid to be quite clear about this. Hence, Paul states in Galatians quite bluntly that even if we or an angel from heaven should announce a gospel other than the one we announced to you, let such a person be accursed. I said it before and now I say it again. If anyone offers you a gospel other than the one you received, let that person be accursed. Fairly clear. The New Testament also suggests another rather different situation where we may need to separate. And that's where a person's behaviour 
is in clear and direct contradiction to their claim to be a follower of Jesus. Paul warns some of the believers in Thessalonica who are living unruly lives and being idle. And he goes on to say, if anyone doesn't obey our word in this letter, take note of them. Don't have any dealings with them, but then note the reason, so that they may be ashamed. Don't treat them as an enemy, rebuke them as a member of the family. So Paul tells the local church there to separate from such a person, but note that the purpose is temporary and loving discipline, not permanent division. The whole intention is to see the person confronted over their actions with the aim of their restoration. Exactly the same approach is adopted in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, where the church is told to exclude an individual whose behaviour is blatantly sinful. To do so, lest the whole group be corrupted by effectively condoning this. But again, the purpose, and actually the real outcome that emerged, is so that the person is brought to sincere repentance and is restored. So, how as Jesus people do we deal with differences and demonstrate to an increasingly fragmented and divided world how to handle disagreements well? Well, firstly, we should avoid polarising over personalities, which is seldom a valid reason to divide. Secondly, we should be careful that we don't hold our personal preferences with any kind of arrogant attitude, lest they become a pretext for disunity. And thirdly, where we do have genuine differences of principle, where we hold different convictions, we need to weigh these carefully to distinguish between primary and secondary matters. And if we do have to confront issues of unchristlike behaviour, then we do so with the goal of seeing people restored. Finally, there is one other reason that the New Testament gives for believers to separate. And to be honest, I'd never noticed this until it was recently pointed out to me. And there's a real irony in this. Titus chapter 3, verse 10. If someone is causing divisions among you, give them a first warning, then a second, and then avoid them. You see, our mutual love for one another as disciples our unity as a church is so vital, so fundamental, so central to how Jesus our Master has called us to be, that we simply must not allow a divisive person to undermine this. Whatever my questions, whatever my reservations or my disagreements, this is never a reason to become divisive among our church community. Lord Jesus, let me never be that person. Let me just close by reading these verse, this verse from Ephesians chapter 4. Make every effort to guard the unity that the Spirit gives with your lives bound together in peace. There is one body and one Spirit. You were, after all, called to one hope which goes with the call. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all through all and in all. Make every effort to guard the unity that the Spirit gives. And I pray that we will be those who make every effort, who strive to maintain that unity 
and to learn to do whatever disagreements we may have, to do them well, to do them graciously, to do them humbly, with our lives bound together in peace. Thank you. 